Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we come to the end of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Law, and now we get into what we call the historical books, and it starts out with a pretty cool book. Joshua, I feel like this is almost like the greatest generation of like Israel. I don't know. David might be the greatest generation, but Joshua starts out with a bang. There is a lot of good narrative in the Old Testament. Um, I think a lot of people see the Old Testament as like all the laws and stuff, like, like the Leviticus stuff we got into in Numbers, but there's also some fascinating history and narrative. And Joshua is one of those books that I believe when you pick it up, you're going to start it and it's going to be hard to put it down. Now, there is going to be a middle section that we'll talk about where it does get a little hard to get through, but we'll talk more about what the point of that is in a little bit. But overall, the narrative of the book of Joshua is action-packed. It has some great lessons for us to learn, and uh, I'm quite frankly very excited to talk about it today because this this is one of my favorite go-to Old Testament books. Yeah, and, and so picking up from last week, you know Moses has just died, and of course he is a colossal figure in the history of Israel, and Joshua has some incredibly huge shoes to fill. Uh, I would be scared if I was Joshua. Uh, how am I going to lead like God used Moses to lead? And so that's why in Joshua chapter 1, it's really cool to see that there are three times that uh, the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Um, he'll, he'll start out uh, Joshua 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. To the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. If you skip down to verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right, so if you're Joshua, I hope you're ready to run through a brick wall. Uh, because that, that <laughs> well, is just exciting. They're going to run into some brick walls pretty yeah, quick. They are. <laughs> because what's the very first thing God tells Joshua in verse 2? Joshua, arise. Cross this Jordan. You know, it's time for you to cross. <laughs> like, you can just imagine this enormous body of water at this point. And it's like, job number one, go over there. And do you see all those people? You're going to wipe them out. Um, you're, you all are going to settle in this territory. This is the land that I'm going to give you. And I'm sure you all heard the encouragement over and over again there. 
be strong, be courageous. Mm-hmm. That That's what the Lord keeps telling him, and because the, the Lord will be with him. Exactly. The reason for it is because the Lord is with you. Just as he was with Moses, Joshua has spent 40 years in the wilderness with the people of Israel training for this moment. And there was kind of the failed attempt, right, at the beginning when Joshua was one of the two good spies who gave a favorable report of the land because of his faith. And um, the people didn't listen to him the first time. And now he spent 40 years watching Moses kind of take some abuse and like the hard stuff that he had to deal with uh, from the people. And now he's taking over this new generation. And again, I would be scared mm-hmm. from my own experiences, from what I've seen happen. But Joshua trusts the Lord and he takes this job seriously. We're going to see this go really well overall. They're not going to be perfect for sure, but um, it's going to be a blessing. So they, they get ready. And they send a couple of spies in, just two spies this time. I wonder if they learned from the first time. Mm-hmm. But they're spending these spies specifically to the city of Jericho. Right. Um, this is a fortified city, the first city they're going to come to. They haven't crossed the Jordan yet, but they send these spies over. And the spies end up encountering a woman named Rahab. Fascinating story. We don't have time to get into the details of it. But she's a prostitute. They don't try to hide that fact. Uh, it may have been actually why she was able to hide men coming and going from her house pretty easily because of her profession. And Rahab, we find out, is a person of faith. Yes. She has heard the stories of the Exodus about the God of Israel. And she said, our hearts melted within us Yes, when we heard about this. Yes, no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Yahweh, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to point that out too, Stephen, just because if you were to read this section, you would kind of say, really, a, a prostitute said these things? But it goes to show that she is slowly becoming, a, or is a person of faith and has seen what the Lord has done and is willing to pledge her allegiance to Yahweh. And so that's exactly what she goes on to do. Um, They kind of make a deal with her that, hey, if you will continue to hide us and you will continue to cover for us, um, we will save you and your household. But here's what we need you to do. We need you to tie like this red scarlet thread looking thing outside your window so that whenever we come into Jericho to conquest it, we'll know which family to save and, and to uh, to spare in the conquest. Right. And Rahab gets shout outs in the New Testament yes. for her faith. Now, I do think it's notable to say she obviously at some point repents of her profession and she marries into an Israelite family and ends up being, what was it, the great great-grandmother of David? I forget how many generations it is. But she's in the line of Jesus. Yes. And she's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. And so it's just amazing to see Rahab and her part in the big story. Again, so much more we could say about her. But um, she sticks her neck out for uh, the spies, protects them, and uh, rescues herself and her household in this whole story. Yeah. So we get to chapter three, and like it, we'd already talked about, before they can go take Jericho, step number one, get across the Jordan River. That's going to be the first step. And the whole time chapter three kind of plays out, we're reminded of what happened in Egypt. They had to cross the Red Sea in order yeah. to get over into the wilderness, and now they're going to be crossing uh, the Jordan. And so uh, God will specifically command the people that they need to consecrate themselves. Um, Joshua said, tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders among you. And so take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross overhead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead. 
And uh, the Lord said, Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And so um, after they've consecrated themselves and, and prepared them for this, the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan. The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, as they come and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark dip into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And when the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Um, mind you, in Numbers 26, we had learned that there were 601,703 men. Um, so I would imagine Israel at this point is well over a million people as a whole. It's taking a while to get yeah. everybody across. Yeah, but the Lord delivers them. Uh, he he crosses on dry ground just like they did with the Red Sea. They cross on um, cross across the cross of cross man <laughs> the Jordan River. So um, super cool stuff to see. And, and this is really a, a moment for this new generation that's so pivotal. Again, water is often the dividing line between the old and the new, between slavery and freedom. In this case, between the wilderness and the promised land. Which, by the way, if you're if you're new to the Bible and you hear this language about going over Jordan, this becomes kind of a metaphor, especially in a lot of songs, uh, for death. And like we're in a wilderness now, but we cross the, the the Jordan, which is like the metaphor for crossing through death, and then we go to the promised land, mm-hmm. uh, to heaven. And so if you hear that, you know, I'm only going over Jordan, you know, um, or on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's land, it becomes a pretty frequent metaphor for the Christian's experience of wandering through the wilderness of life, being led by the Lord, and then crossing Jordan. That's the final obstacle. Now, in, in the analogy, it doesn't, if you keep going, it doesn't work out as much because once they cross the Jordan, there's a lot of work to do. Yes. This land is occupied. Uh, it's not just free for the taking. Uh, the Lord is going to have them drive out the inhabitants of the land, and there's been some very specific rules given for how they're going to do that. Um, there is this really interesting moment at the end of chapter 5 um, when Joshua meets a strange person. Yeah. In Joshua 5, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Obviously, this is supposed to remind us of what happened with Moses when he encounters the burning bush and removes his sandals, for he's standing on holy ground. That's right. This is a bit of the, the introduction as Joshua as the leader, as the one that is going to be leading this army. But ultimately, he's not the commander in chief, is he? Uh, God is. Uh, Joshua is going to be leading the people, but God is ultimately the one that is going to be with these people as they go through this hard thing. 
Um, one other thing I want to mention before we go further as well is in chapter 4, right after they finish crossing the Jordan, Joshua commands 12, the 12 tribes to select one man to pull a stone out of the Jordan River and to bring it on the other side and to heap up these rocks. And it explains in chapter 4 why Joshua had him do this. Because, he said, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so these stones were to serve as a memorial. Whenever the children would see that big pile of rocks, it was up to the parents to tell them the story of not only the Jordan crossing, this is what I love, they were to tell them about the Red Sea crossing as well, it says. Because this generation, these uh, the generation of adults, their children, they wouldn't have been alive for the Red Sea crossing. Um, maybe some of them would have been, but overall, a lot of them would have would have just been born in the wilderness. And so because of that, I think it's cool that the Red Sea is thrown in there as well. Uh, they need to hear about that story too, that God is faithful. And the reason why I wanted to point this out from the outset, we're not going to get to do it on each one of them. There are eight times that they set up rocks as a memorial in the book of Joshua. And uh, Stephen knows me on this. This is something I love to talk about with people because there are a lot of memorials that God gives us now um, in the New Testament, that things he's given us to remember him and his faithfulness. For instance, communion and the Lord's Supper is one of those. And so it's kind of cool to see as early as Joshua, God giving his people ways to remember him as they are in his land and dwelling as his people. Yes. And one of the things that we'll see is that they're setting precedents as they come into the land, are they going to be obedient to the law? They've got the law now and the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy, but are they going to be faithful to the Lord? How are they going to do once they're settled in? And so these memorial rocks all throughout the book of Joshua are going to be constant reminders to a generation that didn't see the crossings, that didn't experience these things, but they need to remember the lessons about God's faithfulness, about his laws, and uh, what they need to do as God's people now that they're actually in the land. So job number one is like one of the biggest and scariest ones, right? The first city they come to is the city of Jericho. Joshua versus uh, chapter 6 through 8 are going to deal with Jericho and then a little bitty city called Ai, or I, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, and these are kind of the, the litmus test. Okay, how are, how are things going to go? Mm-hmm. A lot of times the Bible will give us a lot of detail about like the first one, and then they'll say, and there were a bunch of other ones. So this is kind of like a, a test to see, are they going to be obedient? How is God going to help them? Because, again, this is a nation that has gotten some organization in the wilderness. They do have like some fighting men. But what do they have against fortified walled cities? They don't have chariots. They don't have a bunch of stuff to do this. And so the Lord asks them famously, all right, here's the battle plan. Walk around the city one time a day for six days. And then seventh day, do it seven times. And then blow some trumpets and yell really loud. And you're like, okay, this conquest thing, I don't know if this is going to go so well. Like, what, what, what kind of plan is this? <laughs> and it first comes to Joshua. Joshua calls them in and says, okay, 
this is what we're going to do. And I just right. kind of like to think about Joshua delivering this plan. He's the great military leader. And he goes, all right, guys, here it is. Got it straight from the top. <laughs> you know, this is what we're going to do. Right. And as far as the text reads, no one questions it. They do exactly what God said. But this and is a test of obedience. Yes, like, it was. This is not a brilliant battle plan if you're uh, you know, a military strategist. It's a brilliant battle plan if you trust the Lord and know that walking in his ways will give you victory and success. Yes. And so they do it. And the Lord comes through on his promise. Yes. And one other thing I like to note, there was one other command that they were given with this, that once the Lord has given the city into their hand, A, A, they were supposed to save Rahab, the harlot, just as we had talked about back in chapter 2. But also it told uh, it, they were told that uh, the city is under a ban, and all that it is in it belongs to the Lord. And so you can imagine a bunch of people that have been living in the wilderness. They get to the first city that they conquest, and then... There's all this stuff. There's all these things that they've not been able to have. It'd be, it would be really tempting to just take, take, take and mm-hmm. get all this stuff for yourself. God says here, don't do that. Um, don't touch it. Do not touch it. Leave it all alone. Yeah, It belongs to God. It's kind of the first fruits idea. They're like The yes. first is the best, and that goes to God. We'll get some stuff later, but we have to trust God enough to not take the spoils of this city. And as you read through the story into Joshua 7, that's where someone failed. Yeah. This one guy named Aiken uh, sees some stuff that he really likes, and he takes it. Mm -hmm. And they don't find out in the easiest way. Right. They don't don't find out immediately who did it. It isn't until they go into the next city over to this little place called Ai that Stephen was just talking about. And this was a, a little city. I mean, in comparison to Jericho, this place was just barely on the map. This place was so small. And you can kind of imagine people at this point being riled up, ready to fight. You know, Jericho is nothing for us. AI is going to be nothing for us either. And what ends up happening is they go to overthrow it. They even say, we don't need to use all of our warriors. And it says um, in Joshua 7, 4, about 3,000 men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of AI. They end up running away. And the men of AI struck down about 36 of their men. Israel loses some warriors in the process of trying to rout this small city. And so Joshua, he tears his clothes. He's upset, and he goes to the Lord, and he says, Lord, why is this happening? Why would you bring us into Ai just to be defeated? What what has happened here? And uh, the Lord will reveal, someone broke the ban. Someone went in and disobeyed me back in Jericho. That's right. And, and again, all of this is going to show that God is completely in control here. They cleaned up at Jericho and the walls fell down because God was fighting for them. If God is for us, who can be against us? But if God is not for us, who can we defeat? You know, they they took care of Jericho, but then they can't even take Ai because they've disobeyed the Lord. Someone in the camp, they're sinned in the camp is the idea. And so they have to go down because he's not fessing up. So they have to go down by lot and take the tribe and then the family and then him himself. So once he's found out, he confesses what he did. And uh, he says, you've, you've troubled Israel, and the Lord's going to trouble you. Yeah. And so they uh, take him down to a place called the Valley of Achor. And uh, he's stoned to death, and then they are burned with fire. Um, and they raise a great heap of stones, verse 26. This is Joshua seven twenty six. 
and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, which, by the way, Achor means trouble, Mm -hmm. which is a playoff of you've troubled Israel, and now the Lord's going to trouble you. But, man, can you imagine, just like those other memorial stones, you know, on your way to go somewhere or go do something, your kids look at you and say, Mom, Dad, what happened here? Yeah, well, what are those stones set up down in that valley for? And the parents have to tell them a story. Well, we lost 36 good men that day. Because one man was selfish. Um, he didn't obey God. I mean, it would be a hard story to tell, but a necessary story to tell their children. It would leave an impact on them. Yeah, the valley of trouble would be a witness to future generations about what it means to not obey God. And so it, it's powerful to see, again, the lessons that this first generation is learning. God is setting them up to teach their children, who are not going to remember everything. Uh, and, of course, their children, who will remember even less there's constant lessons that are needed for a generation to be faithful to God. Yep. So going into chapter 8, um, now that the sin is out of the camp, <laughs> that they have they have cleared and purged themselves of the sin, um, chapter 8 is an awesome victory. Uh, they are able to go in and completely wipe out AI. Uh, they actually choose 30,000 men this time instead of 3,000 men. They take they take as many as they can in, it looks like, this time. Or a, a, at least more number at this point. And they end up having success. Um, there's a great slaughter. The Lord is faithful to his word and did exactly what he said. But um, in chapter 8 and verse 29, um, after Joshua had burned Ai and made a heap of it, he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua gave command, and they took his body down from the tree, threw it at the entrance of the city gate, and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Yet another reminder to the children of Israel of what had happened with the Valley of Achor, with Achan, with Ai, um, would have served to be a great reminder to this people. Mm-hmm. It's, again, so many reminders, so many important things that they need to know. And so this gets us into kind of the, the meat of Joshua. We had the, kind of the first test case, and Joshua chapters 9 through 12 are going to be the part that's really about conquering the land. And there's not nearly as much detail given about these other battles as there is about that first battle at Jericho, which really wasn't much of a battle. It was mostly them obediently walking around the city and then the Lord doing the heavy lifting. Um, but as we read through uh, these chapters, it's important to, to think about, some people really struggle with this section of Scripture because of, of the killing, because of what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think there's several things to just point out, to kind of time out and think about the big picture here. One is that uh, this is not just the people on a whim going in. These are commands from the Lord, who is the author of life, and who also has the power to say when to take a life. Um, this is not, uh, you know, just we're mad and doing this. It's also notable to me that... Um, the I'm gonna have to go find this. The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. That's what I'm looking for back in um, in Genesis, because the Lord told Abraham about what was going to happen, and he um, yeah here it is Genesis 15. Um, he says in Genesis 15, verse 14. This is the Lord speaking to Abraham hundreds of years before this. He says, But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, that's Egypt, 
and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here, that is to the land of Canaan, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Mm -hmm. God had this conquest in mind a long time before they came into the land. And there was time given for these nations to repent. God is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all nations. And we also have learned from Rahab's story that Canaanites can be converted. Mm -hmm. They can turn and listen to the God of Israel, and if they come to the Lord's side, they're spared. And so this isn't just uh, you're going to die just because. There is an opportunity. There's been opportunity to repent. There is still opportunity to repent. But if you do not turn to the Lord, that is when judgment comes from the Lord. And if you read about these nations, uh, there was things about them. They were doing terrible things, child sacrifice. The things that they were doing were awful. And so God is bringing judgment on them. And one more thing to note is that Israel, spoiler alert, is going to become as bad or worse than these nations. And how is God going to deal with Israel? He's going to kick them out. In the same way, there's going to be the same kind of judgment come on his own people. Um, as the judgment he's using his own people to execute in, in these chapters. And so seeing the conquest in a bigger picture, I think is really important that we see the justice of God here. Um, it is hard to, to read through the chapters and think about the reality, but we have to trust God on this. We have to see the bigger picture and to see how he's working in the grand scheme of things um, as they go in and conquer the land. So this section starts with the Gibeonites, which is kind of an interesting little story. But the Gibeonites have learned enough from Jericho to know. We, we don't want any. We can't fight this people. <laughs> and so the only way to get out of this is to have them spare us. But we know that if they know we live here, like God's told them, like, don't make any covenants with people. Everybody's got to go. So they trick them. And they make them think that they're from far away. They put on ratty clothes. They have, like, moldy bread. And they're like, we're from on a long journey, you know. We we're hang out here. <laughs> yeah. And so, unfortunately, they don't consult the Lord. Uh, they fall for it. And they end up having these people here. They're yeah. like, oh, great. Well, now we've made a covenant with them. And we can't, you know, destroy them like the Lord told us to. So they do make them servants. They're like cutters of wood and drawers of water. But, again... We're seeing some a few failures here at AI and now with the Gibeonites. Um, and again, this, this one is a failure to just not check it, check everything out and not uh, inquire of the Lord. Well, and it is interesting to see. We're, we're going to get into the book of Judges next week, Lord willing. But you see all these foreign nations that become problems for them in the book of Judges. And it's kind of cool to read through Joshua anticipating what happens in the book of Judges to see some of the mistakes they made. And this is one of those sections. Uh, they were told pretty point blank that, if you don't drive everybody out, then these foreign nations that you leave behind are going to be like thorns in your side. They're going to be an annoyance to you. It's going to come back to bite you a lot later. And that's really a good analogy for, for sin. If you don't completely drive out sin in the, the temple that's in you as God's um, Holy Spirit dwells in us, then that sin is going to come back to bite us. It's, it's ultimately going to ruin us. And so we've got to completely drive sin out. And this was a sneaky way that the Gibeonites got in. And guess what? 
Sin sometimes gets in in sneaky ways, but we don't get to look at God and say, but Satan tricked me. You know, that, that doesn't work. Um, be, yeah, I think it goes back to the garden, right? Be, be alert. Be, be vigilant. Be aware of, of Satan's tactics and his tools. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is a, a good place to see that. Um, going into chapter 10, I, I really like chapter 10 because people are in the nations around Israel at this point. They're getting nervous. Um as they should be. So much so that in chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, it tells us that five kings get together and they're like, all right, let's let's band together. You know, let's take they're care of this problem. Yeah, let's team up on them and, and let's just wipe them out and uh, we'll, we'll deal with Israel the way that they should have been dealt with from the very beginning. And that's their intentions. Um, well, that doesn't go so well for these five kings. In fact, what ends up happening is God wins and he wins in a big way. And what Joshua ends up doing with these kings' bodies, um, it says in 1026, Joshua struck them, put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening, which is kind of a sign to other nations as well. Yeah. And by the way, if you've heard this story, this is the story where the sun stands still for a bit. Um, Joshua, so that they yeah. can completely wipe him out. It says, Lord, make the sun stand still. And the Lord listens to Joshua. Yeah. And it says, that has, has no, this has almost never happened like this. Um, so that's just kind of a cool side note about this particular story. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so after they've been hung on the trees at sunset, he took them down, um, threw them into a cave, put large stones over the mouth to this very day. And it stood as another memorial to Israel. Um, every time they would walk past that or go past that area, they would remember that God is powerful. He was able to wipe out five kings uh, with no problem whatsoever, and the sun stood still on those days. So anyways, that goes. Uh, that's what chapter 10 is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, more, more memorials to God's faithfulness here. Um, th- things really pick up a lot faster after this. At the end of chapter 10, we have the conquest of southern Canaan. They kind of go south first and, and defeat various kings there. And here is, again, where like they, there's just very little detail about <laughs> what happens with all of this. And so um, they continue down. And then in chapter 11, they go up through northern Canaan and uh, go the opposite direction and, and defeat each of these places. And then in chapter 12, there is a list of the different kings that were defeated initially by Moses. Now, remember, there was a little bit of pre-conquest with Sihon and Og over on the east side of the Jordan when they first came in before they crossed the Jordan. So there were kings defeated by Moses, and then there's the list of kings defeated by Joshua at the end of that chapter. Don't you think our listeners would just love to hear us suffer through and read these names in chapter 12? (laughs) Mercifully, we won't read all of Yeah, so you are welcome to look at that on your own time. It's got some cool stuff in there. But that kind of brings us into um, chapter 13 and chapter 14, where uh, it's going to start the land being allotted in a portion to the different people. And in chapter 14 specifically, that brings us to Caleb. You remember Caleb? He was the one other fella that whenever those 12 spies were initially sent in in the book of Numbers, he was the one other guy with Joshua that said, are you guys crazy? <laughs> we can take this land. We, we need to go now while all the other 10 were cowards. And Caleb is, I believe, an unsung hero sometimes. We don't talk enough about him. And right here smack in the middle of what could be considered a boring section, Caleb comes in and he says, hey, Um, I'm ready to take my part of the land. God had promised me and Moses had promised me that I would get a part of the land because of my faithfulness. 
And um, specifically in verse uh, 10 of chapter 14, Caleb said, Now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And behold, I'm 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord had spoken. And guess what Caleb does? (laughs) At 85 years old, he walks right over to that land that God had promised him, and he drives out giants in that in that land. Man, may we all be Caleb. His faith wasn't in himself. Yes, he, I think, talks about I've, God has preserved me. My strength is still with me, but the Lord gave him victory. It, it does not really matter your age. God still delivers and gives victories um, throughout all of our life. May we have the same gusto if you will that Caleb has as he goes to take his part of the land yeah and we're going to see something similar from Joshua and I love that you know you saw these two guys Joshua and Caleb stand firm earlier in their lives when they were selected as two of the 12 spies and even though they did not uh, succeed in uh, swaying the people they listened to the majority to the 10 you saw their faith early on and they have that faith has just grown stronger through the time in the wilderness and now into the conquest. Um, it's just amazing to see faithfulness over the course of someone's life. And jo- both Joshua and Caleb are really just powerful examples of what it means to have a, a spiritual backbone and how you can serve the Lord from the time you're young to the time you're old and uh, and see God's blessings mm-hmm. over a generation. And again, it's in part because of the leadership of men like Joshua and Caleb that makes this generation so powerful in Israel's history. Uh, we'll see at the end of the book that they served the Lord at, when Joshua was at the helm. And it's a powerful thing to, to see that, that come together. So as we continue to work through this section, Joshua 13 through 22 um, is the tough reading section of Joshua. It's hard reading for us because we're so far removed from it geographically and in our time period. But if you were an Israelite, this would be a fascinating section to you because it is all about exactly who gets what parts of the land. You would have known these landmarks. You would have known these people. And again, if you're from the tribe of Naphtali or whatever, you're finding out, okay, here's where our family, our clan is going to live for the centuries to come. And that's exciting. That's really cool. And the other really important thing about this section is that this is fulfilling what God promised Abraham. Mm-hmm. All Abraham ever got was that one little cave, Machpelah, where he buried Sarah. And now they're coming in, and God is fulfilling. He says, look look all around. Abraham, all this land I'm going to give to your descendants. Well, now, tribe by tribe, family by family, God is answering that promise and we see God's faithfulness in these chapters, even though it's a lot of names, a lot of you know details about places and things like that. Um, this is exciting in the sense that God is fulfilling his word, person by person, house by house. I just love to, to see that in, in these chapters. I also think it's notable when we get to chapter 20 and 21, because Levi is dealt with a little bit differently than mm-hmm. the other nations. They are not given a specific place to live 
uh, because God is their inheritance. It'll say that a few different times. But they are given cities of refuge, which is interesting, and then some other cities as well. Um, but God is setting up some things with the cities of refuge that will be significant later on in the story. These are places where justice is kept, and if someone has accidentally killed somebody else, they can run for refuge to the city and uh, be able to, to, to dwell there. And so the Lord is anticipating future problems in Israel and is heading off some of those and providing for justice to happen in future generations. Um, so that's kind of cool. And also to see the Levites part in that uh, with these cities. Um, and so he's providing for Levi, but in a very different way. And I love what it says uh, here at the very end of Joshua 21, at the end of uh, this section. Joshua 21, 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And he and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Mm-hmm. God is faithful. And it's just over and over in the Bible story so far. Even when his people are unfaithful, which again, they did not drive out all the inhabitants. That was their fault. The Lord gave them victory over all the inhabitants. But God's word came to pass. Not one word had failed. I love uh, that statement that comes up a couple times here at the end of Joshua. Yes. So that brings us into chapter 22, where a story that I know Stephen really likes uh, mm-hmm. sits. Um, because it really is a is a good story for us as we think about communication with different people. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a huge communication breakdown in Joshua, the 22nd chapter, and it revolves around uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh on the other side of the Jordan River. Um, so they've crossed the Jordan River into where the land is, but we learned that there was another side on the other side of the Jordan where some of the Israelites had already started to dwell. That's right. And so these Two and a half tribes that initially got where they defeated Sihon and Og over on the east shore of the Jordan, they are headed back home. Because remember, the deal was, hey, you can you can settle here as long as your men come and help us defeat the rest of the land. You don't get a pass on the rest of the conquest. And they did that. Yeah. Now they're going back home, and what they do is they again they want to set up a memorial to remind the the, the children of the nine and a half tribes, mm-hmm. hey, we're still part of God's people. Even though we live on the other side of the Jordan, we're still just as much um, a part of God's people as you are. Yeah. And so they build a replica of the altar there by the Jordan River. But the nine and a half tribes don't understand this right. initially. And they think, they've built another altar? Like, we've already had problems with this so far. Like, yeah. don't build an altar and- other than the one the Lord told us to build. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, they, they bring up Achan and what happened to him. Yeah, mm-hmm. in 2220, uh, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, act unfaithfully in all the things under the man and the wrath fall on the whole congregation of Israel? Mm-hmm. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So they're like, guys, we've seen this story before. You know what's going to happen. And they just kind of jump to the, the worst conclusion that they possibly could have before asking any questions. That's right. Thankfully, cooler heads prevail and they listen and I appreciate the response of the two and a half tribes. They're like, hey, if we did anything wrong, thank you for, you know, hold us accountable for this. Um, but we want to 
be clear, this is, a, this is a memorial. We're not using this altar to make sacrifices on. It was just to remind everybody that we go to the Lord's altar, the mm. actual one where the tabernacle is at this point. And so thankfully, things kind of cool down. There's understanding. But again, right after the conquest, things almost blow up. This is a pretty close call in chapter 22 um, that uh, thankfully is averted through some some misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And a lot of really helpful lessons for us about communication in this chapter and not assuming the worst, but being willing to listen and communicate ahead of time is uh, really Really important among God's people. So then that altar becomes, uh, it's called, um, uh, as a witness between us that Yahweh is God. And this is another one that it would be cool for your kids to see and say, hey, this this one represents the time we almost went to civil war because we didn't really communicate that well. And the story can be told there as well. So the last two chapters of Joshua, 23 and 24, are powerful to read. Um, I love farewell addresses in the Bible. Moses had such a cool farewell address at the end of Deuteronomy. Um, Joshua has a really cool one here. Samuel will have one later on. Last words of Bible people is a really cool thing to see throughout the scriptures. Yes. And so Joshua, in his farewell address, reminds them of several things. How much they need to keep the law of the Lord. Don't turn aside to the right hand to the left. Same thing the Lord told Joshua in back in chapter one. Cling to the Lord your God just if you've done just as you've done this day. I, I like that idea of clinging to God. That's right. And again he also reminds them in verse fourteen that not one word has right. failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Um, but watch out. There's warnings in here yes. about if you don't continue to be faithful to God there's those curses that we talked about yeah, back it, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and that'll happen if you don't stay faithful. I mean, it seems like for every time Joshua will say, look at all that God has done, he's faithful, this is great, he will equally remind them, but this can all change really quickly if we do not stay faithful to God. And so in Joshua 24, uh, Joshua gives really what is a, what, a pretty good recap of, the Isra- of Israel's history um, and talking about God's faithfulness all throughout but also talking about the different times that they've been unfaithful and things didn't go well for them because of that. And finally, in Joshua 24, 14, Joshua will say, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve Yahweh. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. That is one of my favorite statements from Joshua in the book of Joshua. Mm-hmm. Um, before the podcast started, I was brainstorming with Stephen. If I, if I could choose one word to sum up Joshua, I think the word I would go with is loyal. He is a loyal servant of God. And that's what we want to be at the end of the day. And so Israel will hear this and they'll say, far be it from us that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other gods. And so they will say the same thing, that they are going to serve God and him alone. But Joshua doesn't let them walk away with just their word. Uh, He does one other thing um, uh, as they have just committed themselves to God. And what he does in verse 25 is makes a covenant with the people that day. And made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone 
and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Um, And so Joshua sets up one final memorial rock for them that will serve as a witness that they have kind of re-upped their covenant with God, that they have rededicated themselves to him um, as they've just conquered the land. It's, it's a beautiful way, I believe, for the book to come to a close. Yeah. And so all of these reminders are set up. God has been so faithful to his people, and we need constant reminders of that. And so we come to the end of the book where Joshua actually dies. In verse 29, this is Joshua 24, 29. After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sirah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Again, this is why I kind of call this sometimes the, one of the greatest generations yes. of Israel, is because they really did well. Again, they, they failed at different times, and some of those failures would come back to bite them. But by and large, they really served the Lord in this generation, and in large part because of the good leadership that the Lord had given them in Joshua and then the elders who outlived him. I think it's also cool that right at the end of the book, um, you remember the book of Genesis ended with Joseph's Mm -hmm. death and him giving orders about his bones, that when you leave Egypt, you take my bones. Don't bury me here in Egypt. We're not staying here forever. And they did. In Exodus 13, they picked up his bones, and uh, Moses did as they were leaving Egypt. And in Joshua 24, 32, now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. Um, And so they followed through with what Joseph requested. He Mm -hmm. did not want to be his final resting days be in Egypt, but be in the land that Yahweh had promised his father or great his grandfather Abraham. So, Mm -hmm. what what a great um, way to kind of sum up the entire storyline of both God and His faithfulness, but also His people as they are trying to be loyal to not only Yahweh, but also their ancestors as well. It's kind of cool to see. Yeah. And so this sets us up. All right, now they're in the land. You know, um, they've become a great nation. They uh, have been given a land like God promised to Abraham. What What's next in the story? How is God going to bless all nations through this people? This is looking good. Um, there have been a lot of pitfalls along the way, but um, we were optimistic at the end of, of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is going to be followed by the book of Judges, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil it a little bit. It's, it's not going to go well because it's, uh, it's not just the physical inheritance of these things that's going to make the people do well. And it would appear that these, although they are the greatest generation in their faithfulness, it would appear that they failed to teach their own children these things. Mm-hmm. And remember, that was the whole purpose of the rocks in chapter 4. And I've had a friend of mine put it to me this way. If no one is telling the stories behind all these memorial stones and rocks that we read about, then what are those rocks? They're just a big old dumb pile of rocks. <laughs> if you don't tell the story behind it and learn the lesson, then there's really no true meaning behind it. And so may we learn from that and be sure that we're telling our children about God's faithfulness to us and the stories of his deliverance in our life. Uh, may we be diligent in teaching our children and learn from the mistakes of this generation as well. 
So Lord willing, we're going to get into the book of Judges next week. That'll be um, a a fun read um, in some ways and also a disappointing read. So Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review so that we can reach more people. If you're interested in in in-person or online Bible studies, reach out to us, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information or group studies, check out capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.